Okay, um, I just want to, uh, uh, first of all, uh, welcome everyone here tonight. Uh, it's very exciting. It's amazing to see so many people. Um, there's been a lot of uh, reviews of this book that have said it's an idea that time has come. And if you, you know, I don't know if you're in a room this crowded, it starts to feel that way. So that's very exciting. Um, uh, okay, some varieties in the um, and, um uh, so, uh, for those people who have kind of drifted in, they're not sure what's going on tonight. Is the um, is the launch of uh, the, uh, the the power of just doing stuff by Rob Hopkins, and he's the uh, the co-founder of the uh, Transition Network and the Transition Movement. Um, and so, it's a very exciting night for us here in Crystal Palace. Um, I'm, I'm here as a representative of Crystal Palace Transition Town. Um, I. Um, I'm usually really good at waffling, but I'm a bit nervous, so I'm going to check my notes. Um, I just wanted to start off by uh, welcoming, I know there's a lot of people who came from different transition towns in London, I just wanted to see who's here. Um, have we got Croydon? Peckham? Yay! Belsize Park? Yes! Tottenham? Yay! Yay! Uh, Finsbury Park? Yay! Uh, Wilston? Yep. Okay. Uh, Stoke Newington? I don't think I've seen her yet. Oh, come on, Stoke Newington. Uh, is there someone here for Greenwich? Maybe uh, uh, Kingston? Yay! Whoa, yeah, we've got a row, a row from Kingston. Um, who else have we got here? Um, Tooting? Oh, okay, yeah, we'll match Okay, so we've got Tooting. Brixton? Yay! Ealing? Okay. Um, Sutton? Yeah, okay, so disperse Sutton people. Um, any, anybody else here from other parts of London wants to shout out? Where are you? Lewis, you're brilliant. Yeah. Um, anywhere else? Annerley Hill? Henge? Okay. Henge? Gypsy Hill? Okay. Okay. Highgate, brilliant. Whoa. Okay, any advance on Highgate? Anyone further up the northern line? Nottingham, Nottingham, okay. I heard, I heard there was someone here from Cambridge tonight as well. Um, yeah? Okay. Not Cambridge. All right. Um, why, why am I excited uh, to have Rob Hopkins here tonight? Um, I'll tell you why I am excited. He's the uh, co founder of a movement that has uh, created 1,200 project out. Groups, initiatives all over the world in 40 countries. Um, there are 30 in London, there are over 300 in England, and we have about 13 or 14 active projects in Crystal Palace. So it's, it's, it's like what he has done is the catalyst for a lot of this new activity, which is making people look up and think a different way about how they live their lives and what they, what, what also makes them think a little bit differently about. Um, what, what can local people do? Can they do anything or can they do nothing? And I think it's making people rethink that. Um, why was I attracted to uh, what Rob's doing? I've, I've read his other books and I've, I've almost finished this one already and I'm just really excited about this book. But I was attracted because it offers, it tackles the hardest, trickiest questions that we're worried about at the moment. Things like climate change, things like fuel poverty, things like austerity, economic crisis, but it does it in a positive way. It suggests real answers, but they're real, they're not, it's not some silver bullet nonsense. It's real answers that involve local action, and um, Rob will obviously say a bit more about that tonight. 
Um, that's nearly all I want to say. I just want to say that um, it's been really exciting being here as part of uh, Crystal Palace Transition Time. I think you can tell by the, uh, the vibe in the room that it's not some sort of uh, drop-out, hippie, um, sort of eco-warrior thing. It's about ordinary people getting together, seeing what they can do locally and, and what they can come up with. Um, um, in terms of housekeeping, the toilets are over there, um, fairings are there and there, just follow the carrots. Um, and um, I don't think there's really anything else I want to say um, apart from, could you really give a big, a big round of applause, please, for Rob Hopkins. Fantastic day here today with the guys from Crystal Palace Transition Town and been to see some of the fantastic projects uh, that are happening here. It's been really, really inspiring. So, uh, so I was asked to give, sort of talk a bit about what transition is about, really, and give you a sense of the context and what's happening in other places. Uh, and I would really like to start with a picture which I still think is just extraordinary. Which some of you might have seen in the press over the last few weeks. I apologise. We're a little bit sort of neck craning in terms of pictures. Uh, the G8 are meeting in Northern Ireland. Uh, <laughs> and in the town that they drive through on the way from their airport to their luxury five-star golfing venue where the G8 takes place, they pass through the small town of Belcou. And Belcou has suffered a lot from businesses being shut down, largely due, one might say, to the policies of the G8. So the poor loves, as they drive through, it can't be felt appropriate for them to actually be able to see and be exposed to that. So in Belcou, this shop here, which looks like a traditional butcher's shop, is actually a boarded up shop with big stickers stuck all over the windows to make it look like, and it's done this makeover of the high street of all the empty shops, like some weird sort of episode of The Prisoner. So, but what fascinates me about it isn't the fact that they've covered this shop in stickers so the G8 don't get upset, poor things, as they drive through Belcou. But what they've chosen to make the shop look like, they haven't made it look like a Sainsbury's local, or an Aldi, or a travel lodge, or, an, or a Tesco Express. They've chosen to make it, although it's somewhat limited because you can see how they've cut and pasted the images because the same hands repeat as you move along through the window. Uh, but they've chosen to make it look like a small, independent, thriving butcher's shop with meats hanging in the windows, uh, which, which largely due to the policies of Jay are very hard to find anymore. So it made me feel like actually even the G8 if you got them on their own, after a couple of glasses of Bollinger, would actually, really what they prefer is a high street like that. But that's actually not what we get. So, I suppose what the, what, there's a key argument that comes through, which I'll talk about in a minute, in the power of just doing stuff, but it's framed really on a few different issues as to why it's really important that we do stuff. We are incredibly dependent on something which is really undependable. 
on the, the availability of cheap liquid fuels to make our civilization work in the way that it always has. And that grows increasingly precarious. And from a climate change perspective, it's mad. So the climate science says, actually, of all the known reserves of carbon, of, of carbon that we have in the ground, we can only burn a fifth of that if we want to stay below two degrees. We still have people out exploring for more, but we can't burn four-fifths of what we've got now. And there was a really good study came out a few weeks ago that actually talked about because many of the banks and pension companies are basing their future on assuming that that's going to be exploited, but at the same time as the governments are saying we have to stay below two degrees, which means we can't burn that, then we have a big sort of financial bubble coming in terms of that as well. We have the, 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 the fact that um, in the Porter's Review, they talked about how uh, now 97% of all sales of groceries in this country go out through just 8,000 supermarkets. So if we were then to say, well, the remaining 3% is the independent local economy, the question I think really comes up, and the question that I really go into in the book is about, okay, if we want to move forward from here in a way that gives us jobs, livelihoods, safe places to invest, healthy communities, resilient communities, well-being, all the things that we actually want, should we be focusing on growing the 97% even bigger, or should we be focusing on the 3% and how we expand that? And that's really what I want to look at tonight, is about how do we do that? Because that's where there's some studies from the states that even say that actually this 3% economy gets more people voting, increases democratic engagement, all kinds of things. How do we grow that? And then the last one is this myth that actually economies can grow forever, that economic growth is something somehow that we have to get back to at all costs in spite of all the evidence, that maybe it's not the most appropriate idea. You know, we do live in a world of limits, so maybe we need to sort of move on from this idea and find a different way of actually measuring where we're going. Because ultimately, there is no cavalry coming riding to the rescue of the places where we live, I would suggest. Who's going to come riding to the rescue of Crystal Palace, come sweeping in and create lots of new jobs and economic activity? All the people, is the 97% going to do that, or could we actually do that better? And when we encounter all these things, about climate change and peak oil and these issues about the economy, it's very easy to just feel angry, frustrated, numb, powerless. But actually what we try and do in transition is to turn that around and say there is something that we can do about this. And it comes down to getting together with the people around us. It's not about waiting for permission. It's about you, me, the people around us, picking this up and seeing this as an incredible opportunity to do something historic. I went last year to Spain, and this is in Santander. This is a market in, in Santander called El Mercado de la Esperanza, which means the market of hope. And it really was, for me, a market of hope. This was uh, on two floors. The downstairs was all fish and mad-looking seafood that I'd only ever seen in sort of dinosaur books. Uh, and upstairs was all cheese and bread and fruit and veg, that kind of stuff. Loads and loads of sim small stalls owned by local families, this, this had been running since 1904, this market. And when you put both those floors side by side, they probably covered about the same square meterage as a supermarket would uh, for the UK. But, it, but it, rather than it just being one big business, making money, extracting it out of the community, out of that local economy, taking it away to wherever offshore or whatever, not paying enough taxes, that kind of thing, 
this was 100 or so local families keeping that money local. And there was a study they did in, 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 New, or in New Orleans, and there was a place, there was a supermarket, 179,000 square feet, and uh, a place that had 100 different independent businesses of the same size. And, the, and the, the, the one with all the independent businesses returned a lot more money to the local economy, like three times the amount of money. So, what I want to do is to try and paint a picture of how we could think about transition as being something that actually is a response to those challenges. You might look at what's happening in your local transition initiative and say, well, that's not on its own going to crack climate change. That's not going to deal with the, the UK's oil dependency. But I'd like to paint out a picture by where, by where I sort of see, well, maybe we can. Maybe we can pull this together with all the other great things that are happening at the moment, and maybe we have a response. And when, I'm going to take you through four stages. So we're going to start with that first one, which is about transition and how transition gets started. Because transition, for me, is like, is like the bits of the jigsaw puzzle that make the whole puzzle come together. So it's like, you know, we have the government. The government can do some things. We have, as us as individuals, we can change our light bulbs, we can insulate the loft. We have things that business can do, universities can do. But there's a whole bit in the middle, which is what we can do when we get together with the people around us and we decide we want to try and make something happen. And I've seen endless examples of that today walking around Crystal Palace. And transition is those bits that, that, that go in and actually make that puzzle uh, uh, come together. It's, a, it's like a, a, a social kind of... There's tools there that are really, really useful to bring the group together, to kick this off, to sustain it. It says that it's not, it moves on from that sort of activist thing where you just flog yourself on until you keel over and then you get up and you keep going again. It's about paying attention to how you work together, how the group works, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And I want to tell you a few stories of people doing that. So this is uh, in uh, Portugal, in a place called Porto Alegre. And Porto Alegre, like many places in Portugal, has really suffered during the economic crisis. Uh, the average wage is 450 euros a month, and supermarket prices are much the same as they are here. And over here, there is a, a block of flats, and over here, there's an apartment block. And this is just a bit of ground that was outside. And the, the transition group there were working with the people in the apartment block, and they said, you know, what, what would you like to do? And they said, well, our dream is to make that into a food garden. That's not going to feed Porto Alegre. Uh, but actually, people came together, the people came out from the flats, they dug this over, they planted it up, uh, and they planted basil and tomatoes and all kinds of different things. And when I talked to uh, the woman who, who got it started, she said, she said, it's amazing, I've been living in Porto Alegre forever, for 37 years, and I felt my community and my city crumble, people turning backs to each other. This community garden we created tells me it's possible to do things with other people. It is possible. We just need to wake up to each other again. And what the garden did was it proved to be a catalyst for all kinds of other stuff. People started getting together. And now, uh, last weekend, they had this enormous event called, uh, called Ayudada, which, was a, uh, which means a help, a kind of gift, where about, about 1,500 people in Porto Alegre uh, doing all kinds of different things around this idea of the gift economy uh, and uh, that can be stemmed back to this simple little garden. This is in a place in Spain called Coin, and uh, they started transition off there. Uh, a guy who worked as a, as a fisherman 
and you used to go, you'd get transition started, they'd get loads of projects going, and then you'd go away to sea for five months, and when you came back, everyone had given up, wandered off, and done other stuff. <laughs> so he said, well, this isn't very good. So he did it, so the next time, he got them all going again, went off to sea, came back, the whole thing flat as a pancake. So the next time he came back, they put loads of time and effort into really getting the thing working. And he said, it was fantastic. I came back and they were all on fire. They didn't eat me anymore. <laughs> One of the things they set up was this uh, local food market. And the guy that I talked to there, he said, um, people feel, that this, this might resonate with you as well, he said, people feel there's a big shift happening, but they don't know what it's a shift to. I feel Coin and Transition's biggest achievement so far has been to catalyze an openness to this shift and its possibilities. This is in, a, in, a, in the States, in Sarasota, and Transition Sarasota did a, um, a, this is a food cleaning project, and they go to a local farm where uh, they have the stuff that's unprofitable to harvest, uh, uneconomical to harvest, and they harvest it all and they take it into the local food bank. Uh, and uh, uh, so lots and lots of poorer families in the town get access to good food. This is in Tooting, Transition Tooting's transition shop, a really nice example of of a way of engaging people. This was a shop they opened on the high street just for nine days that was called the shop with nothing for sale for lots on offer. <laughs> We're just bringing people in to think about and talk to each other about what does tooting mean? What does it mean to you to live in tooting at this time? What are the possibilities in tooting at this time? And this is in Seattle where they found that everybody had tools in their sheds. How many people have tools they bought and then they've only used once or twice and just sit in the shed? So they started a tool library, about 1,300 tools donated to a tool library. You become a member, it doesn't cost you very much, you can have access to all these tools. This is the local newspaper who have a guy called The Sketcher, who goes out and draws pictures of interesting projects, and this is the drawings of their project. And, uh, and she said it's just like magic, the woman who organized this. She said, we never thought it would happen, and then it just developed this momentum and just took off on its own. This is, uh, uh, and I'm sure lots of transition projects do this, is the idea of a skill share. And this, this is a picture from Totnes where I came up from this morning. And this is the idea that, that if you've got a skill, you'd like to offer it, you just have a day and you, and you run it as a skill show. We have all kinds of different things. It's by far the most active thing that goes on in Totnes. All the things are put on for free. This is a, a, a sharpen, learn how to sharpen things uh, workshop. And this is in Brazil, in a place called Brasilandia, which is in, uh, in favela, one of the favelas in Sao Paulo. And it's been really interesting to see how transition has popped up in those places too that we sort of sent it out as a, just an idea for people to pick up. But actually, when you see transition in, in Brazil, it doesn't feel like something from England. It's a Brazilian thing. People pick it up, they make it theirs. It's like Brazilian transition. They develop ways of teaching to transition to people who can't read. Uh, they don't talk about transition in the context of peak oil and climate change, because as far as Brazil is concerned, it's the new Saudi Arabia. They, they build it there around social justice, uh, uh, violence, uh, uh, all that kind of thing, social enterprise, uh, empowerment for women, that kind of stuff. And it's led to them starting all kinds of different social enterprises. And this is uh, working with local school children to make a garden in Brazilandia. And Transition Streets is a project that's, a, that, that's been really great in transition as well, which is the idea that if you want to reduce people's energy use, you don't send them a leaflet or a DVD through the letterbox, you get them together. And, uh, and we, it works that you get out on your street, you invite maybe uh, six to ten of your neighbours to get together, you meet in each other's houses uh, for seven weeks, and each week you decide you're going to do something, you do water one week, energy another week. On average, the, each family reduces their carbon footprint by about um, 1.3 tonnes, save themselves about 600 pounds. But when they're asked what they got out of it, this is what they talk about, community, getting to know, 
you know, feeling part of the place. I meet people in the street, how did you enjoy Transition Streets? None of them talk about the carbon that they saved at all, which was kind of the point. Actually, what they all talk about is, is how fantastic it is to feel connected to all the people around them. And then all kinds of other projects have then spun off this, a community cinema, a community orchard, this kind of thing. So that's the first bit, really, which is about that model that enables people to get together, as many of you are here, have come together as groups, start this process going, start some projects going, start to see change happening around where you live in small pockets. Uh, and that bit of the model, it feels, you know, we, that, that feels like it works. That feels like there's something there that is relatively tried and tested as an experiment now around the world. The second bit then is how do you take that and actually build a new economy for the place where you live? If we talk about the future being more local, the future being more resilient, well, how, does, how, how do we get there? How do we also make it so that the transition isn't just something we do in our Wednesday evenings, but it becomes something that provides livelihoods for people? This is up in Scotland, in Dunbar. This is the Dunbar Community Bakery. And they raised uh, 15,000 pounds, I think, in shares from local people. And this is now a local bakery employing five people uh, making bread for, for Dunbar. This is in Slamet in Yorkshire, and uh, uh, this, the local greengrocer shut down, the community came together, and they bought this, they, they took this shop over, and they run it as a cooperative. But actually, more than just being a shop, it's become a real catalyst for all kinds of other things. And my favourite bit story of it was that when they started, they were, they were selling garlic. And they realised that when you own a shop, when you buy garlic wholesale, that garlic all comes from China. This is ridiculous, we can grow garlic around here. So on the counter, they had a little bowl of cloves of garlic. And any time anyone came in to buy anything, they got given a couple of cloves. And they said, take them home, grow them, and we'll buy them off you. And if nothing else, we'll be self-sufficient in garlic within a couple of years. But it's become then, they've, then there was a, a cooperative set up to supply produce for the shop. There's a wind energy co-op set up. The whole thing has been a real catalyst for all kinds of other stuff. This is up in Derbyshire, in Matlock, it's called DE4 Food, which is a really nice example for how you, t how you kind of uh, energize a local food economy. There are a group of women who've never run a business before, who've never grown anything before, never done anything to do with food before, and somehow they have this mad idea they wanted to start their own uh, food business. So where they started was, they found a local farmer who said, well, if you come along and help me with my landing, you can have half the lands. Uh, as part of, like, as a land CSA sort of thing. So they went up, they learned how to do all that, and that kind of went really well, because where they were, there weren't really any organic growers, because it's really hilly and sheep country, and nobody really grows vegetables. They realised the best place to grow vegetables, like with the Patrick Farm project here, is in people's back gardens. So this means that you can actually, whether you've got 300 leeks or four lettuces, you load them into the system, and then people shop online, and then they get their boxes delivered. It takes the middle person out of the whole process. It's really fantastic. This is in Bristol. Uh, George Ferguson, the new mayor of Bristol, who takes his full salary of £51,000 in Bristol pounds, in the local <laughs> currency. I don't know how he pays his mortgage, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, but the fantastic thing with the Bristol pound is, like, like, like with Brixton, they have the pay-by-text system. Uh, and it's taken many, many hundreds of businesses, and it's been a real kind of focal point in the city. It's been fantastic. This is in uh, in, in Malvern, and uh, these are the Malvern Gasketeers. 
anyone who's ever been to Malvern, there's 104 of these old Victorian gas lamps, which are the gas lamps that inspired C.S. Lewis when he wrote The Man, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's the one when Lucy first goes through the wardrobe, she sees the lamp, it's modelled on these ones. There's 104 of them, they're listed, they cost a fortune, 450 pounds worth of, no, they cost 450 pounds to maintain each every year, they use 130 pounds worth of gas every year, and they don't even make very much light. So the Gasketeers were the energy and lighting group from Transition Northern Hills, which was this kind of gathering of lighting geeks who came together and reworked all these lamps and now something like, they, um, they use like 90%, 90% less carbon emissions. Uh, they're all maintained by one woman called Lynn, the UK's first fully qualified female gas lamp technician, <laughs> who does the whole thing with a bicycle and a trainer with this fold-out bike on the back. Fantastic, and it's been a real innovation. They've created all sorts of jobs, and now they're uh, doing the same thing for other local authorities around the country. This is in Japan, in a place called Fujino, that was the first transition project in Japan. And Fujino uh, uh, wasn't hit by the tsunami and the nuclear stuff that happened there, but actually uh, they were quite close to it. And when that happened, they had set up previously, they'd been playing around with renewable energy and they had some different bits and bobs. And uh, one of the things that's really important in that area of Japan is they have a festival of light. Uh, and they couldn't do it in these places because there was no electricity after the disaster. So Transition Fujino took all their stuff down to where that happened and set it all up and, and, and ran the festivals for them uh, on solar power and came back and set up the, the Fujino Electric Company. And they were the first community electric company in Japan, which has since inspired another 40 communities across Japan uh, to do the same. And this is in Brixton. This is a picture of Agamemnon, who's over there. Who <laughs> will be speaking to you in a little bit. This is Brixton Energy, which I think is a fantastic uh, project, fantastic sort of way of, uh, of, of doing community renewables. And what, what's, what I love most, this is a, he and I went up onto the top of the building so we could take a picture of things and see what, what was going on. But what I loved about it, and I'm sure we'll come across when he speaks a bit later, was this sense of, yeah, this is just the beginning, we're going to do all this lot, and all this lot, and all of that, and no sweat, and we're going to do the whole place. And there's that whole kind of spirit of, well, of course we can, why not? Has anybody else got any better ideas, really? <laughs> Which is fantastic. This is uh, in Bath, this is Bath and West Community Energy. And they came up with a different model. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in the book is this idea of a move, moving from uh, external investment, or sort of investing out of our communities, and moving away from inward investment, the idea that all we need to do is sort of make ourselves as attractive as possible for investors to invest inwards into us. To say, actually, there's a lot we can do through internal investment, spending what we do differently, investing where we can in driving this new uh, approach to, to, to an economy. And what they did there was they had a model whereby people could invest their pensions. Anyone who had self-invested pensions could move that into a, into a community-owned energy company. The model meant that when they launched their community share launch, they raised three quarters of a million pounds uh, in about uh, four weeks. Now those models whereby we can invest into our communities to drive that process, people who use this term quite often, impact investing. Well that's impact investing. Impact investing is where you can walk around the place where you live and you can see the beneficial uh, impacts of, 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 of how that's working. So that's the second which is about how we turn our ideas into enterprises and Transition Network has something called the Reconomy Project which is about trying to work with uh, 
groups who come through this process, how do we step up? How do we make that, that, that step up? Because often, those of us who are attracted to this aren't necessarily culturally drawn to the idea of actually turning our ideas into enterprises, trying to create livelihoods. And we need some support and some encouragement and some training of that. And that's what Reconomy is all about. But the third one, which is more recent, is this idea of doing blueprints or evaluations for places. <clears throat> so when we look at, um, if, if Tesco wanted to come and open up in a town somewhere, they could argue a case that would say, we'll create 80 jobs and we'll bring a million pounds every year into the local economy. <clears throat> Those of us who argue for more resilient, more local economies, we don't really tend to do that. We tend to say, we should do it because it's better. It's kind of a good thing to do. We've never really had an economic case is it if, you know, if it's true that actually every time, if every pound you spend in that 3% local independent economy generates three times more jobs uh, than every pound you spend in the supermarket economy, as the Council for the Protection of Rural England say, then actually we've got a really strong economic case, surely. So with both of these, and there's a third one coming soon uh, from Brixton, uh, which, so we've got a market town, a county, and an urban neighbourhood. Uh, it maps the economy in terms of where all the money goes. And then you have an economic case for saying the potential of all of this. So the topless one, which is the one that I know best, says every year we spend 30 million pounds on food, and of that, 22 million goes out through just two supermarkets. 17 and a half through one supermarket. That's 22 million pounds every year just running through our fingers like sand. That could be staying locally and making, making jobs happen. 80% of that money is gone the next morning when they've cashed up the tills. So actually, we then know that if we could just shift 10% as a community, collectively, if we could use our schools' buying power, if we could use our hospitals' buying power, and we could shift 10%, that's £2 million in our local economy. And I was reading the other day about a hospital in, in Nottingham that has done this. They decided that they were going to shift how they bought their, 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 their food, their, their fruit, their veg, their meat, uh, and they now source 90% of their meat, 90% of their fruit and veg, uh, locally within 30 miles, and it's injected £2 million into the local economy. But when you add in as well the potential for retrofitting the houses, the potential for renewable energy, the potential for caring for our elderly in a different way, there's about £5 million that could be coming into the economy that isn't. That feels like a really powerful economic story for the future. That's where I think we should be moving towards. And then the last one, which is this little character up here, which is really about, okay, so then if you can use a blueprint like that to map the potential, well then maybe we can bring in some investment to really driving this forward. Maybe that would, maybe that would really, really help. You know, we have lots of different trusts and philanthropic organizations who have an endowment they invest, which is largely invested in whatever makes the most return, usually oil and gas and trashing the environment, and then they use, and then the interest from that they then used to try and clean up all the mess that that caused in the first place. Well, maybe that could come into driving projects like this, which is the Atmos project that I'm very involved with down in Totnes, which is about bringing an eight-acre derelict site into community ownership to develop it as the driver for this kind of an economy. Or community renewables, or local food. You know, we can bring in investment and we can really drive this forward. But it starts with the people coming together and starting these projects off. I'm nearly done. I just want, this is a, a, an article that I read recently that was about transitioning Vancouver. One of the delights about doing this stuff is that every day some email comes in from somewhere about something amazing happening in a place you never expected that it would. And this is about transition going on in Vancouver. And at the end of the article, this woman said, um, 
she was asked if she could sum up transition and the approach, and she said, talk to your neighbours, see what happens. <laughs> Which I thought was a lovely kind of mantra for this whole thing. Talk to your neighbours, see what happens. So I suppose this is this this is a this is a um, bit of a landmark evening, I suppose, because it's the launch of you know when, when you spend months working on something and you have the launch of, of, of a book, it feels really kind of exciting. So I and I've tried to sort of capture what I've tried to do is have something that you can kind of take out and there's a really powerful argument there, I think, which is actually we can do this in a different way. And we can do this. And there is a real power, and I got it today going around Crystal Palace. Actually, when you step across into doing something, when you step across into making change happen in the place where you live so you can see it, there is a real power to that. And time and time again, when I was researching it, I was ringing people up in Spain, in Australia, in Italy, in Canada, and they were talking about their projects that came through again and again. We're taking something back here. We're making something happen. We're choosing not to be passive anymore in the face of all these things unfolding. We can do it, but it starts with a conversation in a pub like this evening. It starts, in, it starts with people getting together and inspiring each other to make change happen. So I really hope that this is something that will uh, help you with that. Uh, and uh, if you want to find out any more, there's some various bits and bobs. And, uh, and thanks ever so much to Crystal Palace for putting on this evening and for showing me around today. Thank you all for coming. It's fantastic. You all come brilliant. Thank you so much.